Before we go to the Lord in prayer, let me remind you to continue your prayers for our Guatemala team through Thursday. They come back Thursday afternoon. And uh, especially pray for one on the team this morning. Just found out last night about 7 o'clock, he's preaching this morning, our youth pastor Jeffrey. So he's going to be preaching with a Guatemalan interpreter uh, at a church this morning. So let's just lift him up in prayers this morning today. Lord God, we come before you now and we thank you for this opportunity once again to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we do want to lift up our Guatemala team, Lord, as they spread the gospel and do work for you. May everything they do and say be recognized as uh, just a cup of cold water in Jesus' name and and, uh, knowing that the gospel truth is being spread. Lord, we pray uh, that... um, for, especially for Jeffrey, just give him the right words to say and boldness. We pray for the interpreter. And, Lord, we just pray that the gospel message rings very, very clear and true in, uh, in a little town in Guatemala this morning. Lord, again, be with us. We, we thank you, and we, we ask your leadership today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, Please grab that uh, connection card. If you're a first or second time guest, we would love to know that you're worshiping with us today. So please grab that, fill that out. And um, if you would take that to the uh, connection area uh, in, in the lobby, we have a token of our appreciation for you if you'll just take that card uh, to them after the service, okay? And then for the rest of us, there's prayer request cards, so please fill those out, and the pastor and staff will be faithful to pray for you over those, okay? So please, please do that. Well, hey, let's... Uh, sing uh, what's become one of my favorites over the last several years. Uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul. There are 10,000 plus reasons to give our Lord blessing. Amen. Sing your song again. 
considered a sacrifice of praise. Amen. But remember what the Lord said about sacrifice versus obey. To obey is better than sacrifice. And that's why we've coupled this great old hymn on the heels of that song, Trust and Obey. Let's sing this great hymn together.
time of year where uh, kids compete in, uh, the, in Bible drills, uh, state and associational state, national Bible drills. Uh, a little known uh, extension to those Bible drills for sixth grade and above is called Youth Speakers Tournament. And we happen to have a young lady, Miss Ellick, why don't you make your way up here, Ella Metcalf. She has made her way past the church, past the associational, past the state um, uh, uh, qualifying, and she is going to nationals next week in Georgia. And we've invited her, yes, let's see. We've invited her to share the speech that she composed. It is all around us. To our right and to our left, it surrounds us. It consumes our thoughts and controls our actions. This is fear. We are living in a world where fear is all around us. We can see fear in the news, in social media, and in our daily lives. For most people, including myself at times, can find that fear is even controlling our actions. When I notice fear starting to take control of my own life, I am encouraged by Isaiah 49.10, which says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. By reminding myself of these words, I find great hope in knowing that I do not need to be afraid, because God will be with me wherever I go. Throughout life, we are bound to face many trials and difficulties that can cause fear. Before I was three years old, I had been diagnosed with egg, tree nut, and severe peanut allergies. Then, when I was in third grade, I was diagnosed with celiac disease. This means that I cannot eat gluten or wheat because it damages my intestines. After that, I was diagnosed with scoliosis, which led me to wear a back brace for four years due to a 36-degree curve in my spine. A few years ago, I was also diagnosed with Graves' disease, also known as hyperthyroidism. This means that my thyroid doesn't function properly. Through all of these medical diagnoses, fear was always there. I remember being fearful of what the next doctor's appointment was going to bring and how it was going to change my life. What got me through all of those doctor's appointments and tests was God. I would remind myself of Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. While keeping this verse in mind, I was able to have the courage to fight my battles. Through these trials, I grew in my faith and have been able to share with others why we do not need to be afraid. During this past school year, I was eating lunch with my friends when we heard an alarming announcement to stay where we were and to not leave our class. After this announcement was made, I could see fear starting to take control. People were panicking, and no one knew what was going on. I could feel myself starting to panic. But then I remembered that God would always be there with me. So I stopped, and I prayed for and with my group of friends. By setting an example of praying, I was able to show those around me that God would be with us wherever we go, so there was no reason to be afraid. Through this experience, I learned that I can help encourage others to not be afraid. All people will go through times of fear and uncertainty, making it important to remember that God will never leave us. 
Throughout these struggles, I have learned that God has been with me through it all, just like he was with the people of the Bible. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. This verse reminds us that even when we cannot see what is going to happen next, we know that God will be with us. I have found that whenever I can take my eyes off of the fear and place them on God, then I have nothing to fear. Knowing this has helped me because during this past school year, I found myself becoming very stressed and fearful of every test and assignment. I was starting to fall into the lie that if I did not get 100% on every assignment, then my life would simply be over. I would never graduate, get into college, or have any sort of career. But then I reminded myself that what really matters is what God thinks of me and what I am doing for him. I had to remember that God is not going to look at me and say, wow, Ella, I cannot believe that you got a 95% on that math test. Are you sure that you deserve to go to heaven? I had to remember that what God wants is for me to have a relationship with him and to share his love with those around me. I have learned that whenever I can separate what the world tells me and what God tells me, then I really have nothing to fear. We live in a world where fear is all around us and is going to take control of every situation. As Christians, we have a hope that lost people don't have. We know that God will be with us wherever we go and that he controls all things. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Even though we live in a world where fear is all around us, consuming our thoughts and even controlling our actions, we can hold fast to the truth that God will be with us, and we can choose to fear not. Thank you. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, let's go, go and be seated. We're going to take our offering just now, and I think it would uh, be good for us to, rem to remember just now on the heels of what uh, Ella just said, um, or how she said it, I should say, that when we give, it helps to teach the preschoolers and the children and the students and put the Bible in them. And we all pray that, uh, you know, by the time they get to be seniors, uh, that's, that's, that's what we get, is a kid full of Scripture, full of the Word. And, um, and, and so we thank you for your faithful giving because that's our goal, to help our, our kids uh, become full of Jesus, full of Scripture, and uh, buying that literature, buying all the materials through the giving that you give makes, uh, makes that possible. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we just come before you now, and we thank you. We want to pray for uh, Ella, and we want to pray that she just does uh, great at the nationals. Uh, you would just bless her, Lord, and, and cause her memory to be uh, great, and, uh, and she can uh, just achieve everything that you purpose for her to achieve there, Lord. Lord, we pray uh, for all of our preschoolers, our children, and our students as they are constantly being filled with your word, whether it's in Sunday school or whether it's in children's church or vacation Bible school or various discipleship ministries that are here. Lord, we thank you that we have all those ministries that keep on pouring your word into them. And Lord, we pray um, 
that when they grow old, they will uh, th- those words will come to mind and, and they will be strengthened and uh, they'll be able to, as Ella said, uh, fear not because uh, of your great word and your great promises. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to give and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Well, good morning. Can anyone guess where we're preaching from? All right, Ephesians chapter 5. Let's pick up beginning in verse 15. We've been in this particular paragraph now for a few weeks. But today we look primarily at Ephesians 5.18, which is a very well-known and much needed verse today, but I must confess to you that there's much confusion when it comes to that particular phrase, be filled with the Spirit. Several denominations fall into the second blessings camp. In other words, have you made the wonderful discovery of the Spirit-filled life? What does one do to quote get the filling of the Holy Spirit F-I-L-L-I-N-G right the filling of the Spirit our goal is not to critique the errors today but if you'd like to know of an excellent well-balanced charitable critique of this particular fallacy the misunderstanding of the filling of the Spirit then I would suggest J.I. Packer's book Keep in step with the Spirit. Write that down. Pick that book up and read it. So, let's read the context. It's very important this morning for understanding what it means to be filled with the Spirit. The Bible says in chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, look carefully. Remember, sermon title, Walk Careful. That's what we've been looking at. And how do you do that? Be careful then how you walk. First, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Second, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And how do you walk circumspectly and wise? Third, and do not get drunk with wine. 
Boy, that gets everybody's attention, right? Uh, you don't need an introduction to a sermon when you talk about wine or don't get drunk with alcohol, wine, for that is debauchery. That is a total lapse of understanding, in other words, of the consequence of your action, debauchery. That's what that means. But be filled with the Spirit. And I think what you have after that are the results of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. There are five participial phrases. Addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Second participle, singing. How do you Baptists feel about that? Third participle, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Fourth participle, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fifth participial phrase, which launches us into the hustafil. That's Luther's term for family life, right? Beginning in verse 22. But here's what it says, last participial phrase, as a result of the filling of the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, let's dig into this passage. Let's see if we can find the meaning of do not be drunk with wine, in which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit of God. And before I do that, I want to give you some introductory observations of the context of Ephesians 5 and the book of Ephesians so that we can understand the specific command to be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Are you ready? Got pen and paper? A little bit of ink is better than the best memory. Right? First, unless you've memorized it like Ella did, masterfully, right? Excellent job weaving what you find in this text in a few moments, in her thought life of theology with how you deal with life. Excellent, excellent job. So first, here's the first thing. The overall context in Ephesians 5 has to do with darkness and light. Y'all remember that? It's in chapter 5. Back in chapter 5, verse 8. For at one time, not that you lived in an environment of darkness, but you were darkness. Got it? And then the Bible says, the conclusion of verse 8, But now you are light in the Lord and walk as children. There's that peripateo word, which means manner of lifestyle. So therefore walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part, verse 11 says, in the unfruitful works of darkness. And he's explained what those are earlier in chapter 5 but instead expose them. So it's important when we hear a phrase like to be filled with the Spirit, first think about the overall context of chapter 5, which has this thematic presentation of light and darkness. Not only those two things, but you were darkness, but now you are light. That should be brought into focus as we understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. The second introductory thing is this. The immediate context has to do with walking carefully. Remember that? It's how you live. Verse 15, look carefully, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And how is that particular phrase going to be expanded? How do you have a careful walk in the Christian life? Well, don't be this, but be this, right? 
And what is it? What is he saying? Don't be this particular thing, but be this particular thing. Well, don't be unwise, but be wise. Don't be foolish, but, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So the overall context is light and darkness, but the immediate context is how you live and walk carefully. All right? Number three, third observation. The prohibition against drunkenness is part of the overall ethical context of Ephesians 5. You ever thought about this fact? I mean, he, he just plucks out drunkenness. But he's been telling you about ethics all the way back to chapter 4, verse 1. So as you come to the prohibition, don't be drunk with wine, we're supposed to see that drunkenness is living in darkness. Drunkenness is unwise. Drunkenness is foolishness. We know better, and drunkenness is actually also a violation of the revealed will of God. Hmm. So, in striving to be biblical, let us oppose with everything we have in us, the abuse of alcohol, and let's seek to think biblically about the legitimate use of alcohol. Now, I thought about preaching on do not be drunk with wine this particular Sunday morning. But I thought since Paul's major point is to be filled with the Spirit, then I'm going to preach that sermon on a Sunday night to see how many of you Baptists are actually interested in it. But it won't be tonight, okay? But I am going to preach soon on it. I've got it ready, prepared. And so that's going to be the, the particular focus. Striving to be biblical, which means we have to oppose the abuse of alcohol. But yet we are called by God to think biblically about the use, okay? So the fourth observation is this. The command to be filled with the Spirit is the ethical antithesis to drunkenness. Right? Be not drunk with wine, in which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So if drunkenness is living in darkness, and it is unwise, foolish, and a violation of the will of God, then to be filled with the Spirit is to be living in the light, living in wisdom, and is the will of the Lord. Right? Observation number four was that one. Uh, One theologian stated in light of this, being filled with the Spirit is not related to the realm of euphoric experience, but the ethical rigors of the Christian life. I don't care how many slap the hip, throw back the chest, pick up your chin experiences that you have in church. If you don't live the Christian life, then you're not filled with the Spirit. It's the ethical rigors that's associated with, with this particular admonition and imperative command. The final introductory observation is this. The contrast in verse 18, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, connects the prohibition, obviously, with the command. There's a relationship with never getting drunk with wine, but to be continually filled with the Spirit of God. So that relationship is not getting drunk on the Spirit. Let's be careful here. Nor being inebriated with the Spirit. Why do I need to say something like that? Because that very concept, being drunk 
in the Spirit is used to fuel these movements. That's, that's something you have to seek out. You've got to seek out the particular aspect of being drunk on the Spirit of God. I think if we keep this circle of context with those five observations, keep it tight to the mind and heart, then I think you'll better understand what the Bible says when it says, be filled with the Spirit. Well, all the way from Genesis, all the way through the Old and New Testament, God is seen as looking for a place to dwell. Do you all agree? So, not only do you have to keep those five observations in mind when you think about what it means to be filled with the Spirit, but you also need to know a little bit about the background of what God was doing when he says, I will dwell in the tabernacle. My glory will come down in the tabernacle. My glory will fill the temple. We have to think about that because that's not missed by Pauline theology. Okay, I'll show you that in just a moment. But I remind you that the Bible is both trees and forest. And in order to identify the trees, it's important to know what part of the forest we're in. Right? So in the Old Testament, God is said to fill the temple and fill the tabernacle with His glory. We would call this the manifest presence of the Lord. His glory would come down. Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 35. Jot that down. I'm not going to go there for the sake of time. But God comes to dwell inside the tabernacle. He fills the tabernacle with His very Shekinah glory. That's His dwelling place. Let's fast forward over to 1 Kings chapter 8. And we have Solomon who built the temple. Remember that? And he's praying his dedicatory prayer. And the chronicler is chronicling, chronicles, first and second, right? What this looks like. And he's praying. And do you remember what Solomon says? The very heavens of the heavens cannot contain you, O God. But we're doing our best to build a temple, basically. Right? You can't be contained, but we're going to build this temple. And it pleased the Lord to dwell in a temple made with hands. And his presence filled that temple. And it was, all, it was so all-consuming that it even drove out all the priests. Remember how that glory came. So the Lord not only promised to fill his dwelling place with his glory, but he also promises in the word of God in the Old Testament to fill the whole world with his glory. He will fill the earth with his glory. Numbers chapter 14 verse 21. Habakkuk 2.14 Did y'all know that our God is committed to filling his dwelling place and the world with his glory? Doesn't matter who's ruling this world in human understandings. God rules the world. And God is seeking to fill. He will do it. He will do it for his great name's sake. He also promises to empower individuals with his presence, with his power, with his spirit for certain tasks. So here we see in the Old Testament those who serve the Lord by the Spirit. Those who were prophets. Do you remember Micah's prayer? It's something like this. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me and empowered me to proclaim the Word. The Spirit of God did this. So I just remind you of the background of what God had promised so when you get to the book of Ephesians, it's not lost on Paul. Chapter 2, verse 19. Please look at this verse. If your mind has been in neutral, 
engage it at this point for Ephesians. You ready? Chapter 5, verse 19. I'm sorry. Chapter 2, verse 19. I heard you shuffling to the right. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him... You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Isn't it unbelievable how the Holy Spirit impresses Paul to think of the Old Testament understanding and to bring it all together right here for us in the book of Ephesians. So when you get there, in Ephesians, it is the church that is the temple of God. Y'all understand this correctly, right? It's the church, which is the fullness of God, which is filling all in all. Chapter 1, verse 22. Listen to it. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the, look at the Bible, church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In chapter 3, verse 19. Listen to the word of the Lord. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then in chapter 5 verse 18 he tells us an imperative command. Be filled with the Spirit. Those two strands of thought. What God says about the filling in the Old Testament. And what God has to say through Paul in the New Testament come together in this statement. The church is the fulfillment of the fullness of God in His temple. That's the understanding. We as the temple of God in the New Covenant are filled with the glory and the Spirit of the Lord. The indwelling of the Spirit among God's people is not just an individual reality. It is a corporate reality That which was promised under the old has been fulfilled in the new. So the church is also increasingly filling the whole earth with his glory. With the presence of the Lord as his body expands throughout the whole world. Y'all get the picture? Do I need to preach all that again? Right? You get the picture? As a result, being part of that body, if you're saved today... We are individuals, right? But we're locked together to be filled with the fullness of God and to be filled with the Spirit of God so that we can bring about the expansion of God's glory and kingdom by filling the whole earth with the very presence of Jesus. That is the biblical and theological background and consideration when we talk about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Y'all okay with that? Now, are you ready for the sermon? That was... Ella, you did yours in five minutes. I couldn't even do my intro in 10 or 12, 15 minutes. All right. Again, the third understanding of walk careful. Not as fools, but as wise. Right? Make sure, as the text reminds us in verse 5, that we're not foolish, but we understand what the will of the Lord is. And then, 
Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay. This is a command. But be filled with the Spirit. Technically, it is a present imperative command. What does that mean? Well, it simply indicates that this is a continual action. You are to be continually filled or always filled with the Spirit. The command to be continually filled is vitally important. Okay? So stick with me just for a moment. Let me give you a couple more technical things. Not only is it an imperative command, God is commanding you to be filled with the Spirit. It it is also in the passive voice. Why is that important? It is be filled. It is not feel, and it is not feel yourself. It is be filled. So that indicates that it is not that is something that is done to us. We don't do it ourselves. That's very important. It's very significant. There are formulas out there that you can buy a book, and it says if you follow this step, this step, this step, you get the spirit. It's something that God does for you and in you. So an imperative command that is in the present tense, it's in the passive voice, this is God doing it. Here's one more little tedious part of it. It's also in the second person plural. You know what that means? It emphasizes not individuality, but corporate. Wow. Does that change things for those on the golf course this morning that claim to be believers? I'm not saying if you go one time on Sunday that you're necessarily not a believer. But if you go golfing every Sunday and you never go to church, you're lost. Plain and simple. Why? Because you can't separate being filled with the Spirit with the corporate nature of the body. It is second person plural for a reason. You can't live out being filled with the Spirit without the church. That's why it's connected. Alright, there are two reasons why this corporate command is given. First... It's because of the temple language that we've already addressed. Right? It's a command given not merely to individuals, but the corporate dwelling place of God, which involves more than just you. Second, and perhaps most importantly, notice the results of the filling of the Spirit. We're going to have fun with those next week, right? What are the results? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I like... I like Charles Stanley. I like David Jeremiah. But you can't address him through the TV with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The Bible says to address one another. You can't do that unless you're rubbing shoulders with one another. Are you listening? That's participial phrase number one. What about the next one? Singing and making melody. Yeah, you can do that. You can do that on your own. I get it. But it's the corporate nature of it. How about melody in your heart to the Lord? Making melody. In other words, hymns and spiritual songs should be part of your life and the result that you are actually filled with the Holy Spirit of God when you have a melody in your heart to the Lord. Man, good stuff, right? How about giving thanks always? How about submitting to one another in reverence to the Lord, which spills over to the husband-wife relationship, spills over to the parent-child relationship, the child-parent relationship, 
and employers and employees. Submitting one to another. In other words, the emphasis is on the corporate. And it's demonstrated very clearly because of the results are not that you go off half-cocked as an individual and have a slap-happy hallelujah party, but rather you're doing things because other people are around you. Am I making sense? This is what the Bible tells us. So if you're filled with the Spirit, it takes place in the corporate setting so that you can demonstrate the results of the filling of the Spirit which are horizontal. Addressing, singing, making melody, giving thanks, subjecting yourselves to one another in the fear of the Lord. For the command to be obeyed, hear this again, it must be in a corporate setting. No amens? The term to be filled is not to be understood as fluid or fuel. Okay? He's not saying be filled with the fluid of the Spirit. He's not being, he's also not saying being filled with the material called the Spirit. I need to be filled over and over again, you might think, if it's fluid, because I leak. Right? I leak because I have holes in me and God must pour more into me because I'm leaking. Folks, that is not the picture that Paul is painting whatsoever. Be careful of making too much with the drunk, with wine, understanding corollary with being filled with the Spirit as if it's some kind of liquid. That's not what he's teaching. The Spirit is the means of the filling. Okay? When you see with the Spirit, your mind should race purposefully toward by the Spirit. That's the translation of the word. You're filled by the Spirit of the Lord. So here's the question. What is the content? What is the content? Well, uh, I have a stab at it, which I think is solid. Chapter 1, verse 23. Which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. Chapter 3, verse 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the... Well, I would say that a definition of what is to be filled once it says with all the fullness of God tells you the answer. It is the fullness of God. And then chapter 4 verse 10, the Bible says, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And then in chapter 4 verse 13 is the goal. Until we all attain the, uh, the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Thus, while the Spirit is the means by which we are filled. The content of our filling is the fullness of the triune God. God the Father. God the Son. God the Spirit. Wallace summarizes it like this. Believers are to be filled by Christ by means of the Spirit with the content of the fullness of God. There is a parallel to help us understand what the Spirit-filled life means and how that is to be lived out. And telling you what the parallel is, is influence or control. Okay? Not liquid, not fluid, not fuel. What it is, is control. To be drunk with wine is to be under the influence or under the control of alcohol. To be filled with the Spirit is to be under the Spirit's influence or control, even better, 
It is to be living under the spiritual leadership of the Lordship of Christ through His Spirit and the Word. That's what it means. The one parallel Paul expects us to get as you read, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, is the issue of control. Who is controlling your life? Do not be under the control of wine, but rather be under the influence or control of the Lordship of Jesus Christ or the Lordship of the Spirit. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Notice the expression, with the Spirit. He's not saying be full of the Spirit as if it's material that is dumped into you. It is actually the instrumentality of the Spirit that influences and controls your life. When you yield your members as instruments of righteousness. Romans chapter 6. So, there's a wonderful parallel passage that helps us understand this command to be filled with the Spirit. And guess where it is? I told you that Ephesians has a sister epistle and what? Yes, it is Colossians. So, jump over Philippians and land in Colossians and let's look at chapter 3. Let's begin reading in verse 15. I'm going to bring all this together. Here's what the Bible says. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule, and that word is to act as an umpire. Let it to rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. It even has the Ephesians imagery of the body. And be thankful. Notice how this parallels. Listen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. When we put these two together, the results of being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5 and what you've just read in Colossians 3, which is totally encapsulated in what the Word of God performs in you, dwelling in you richly. If you put these together in an understanding of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, it means to be dominated, controlled, and influenced by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. I pray that your theology does not see the work of the Holy Spirit as a long ranger operator. That's not the way God intended it, nor is it the way the Word of God teaches it. God has ordained that the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, always works in, through, and with the Word of God. As a matter of fact, there is no salvation to a lost soul apart from the Word and the Spirit. Period. Right? So, we have the same list in Ephesians 5 that we have in Colossians 3. We thus conclude that Paul is saying that we must live under the control and lordship of the Holy Spirit of Christ through the Word. Is the Word of God important? You better believe it. The Spirit of God increasingly controls our lives as we are saturated with the Word of God. Did you notice how Ella was giving that speech? She would ground her thoughts in the Word like three or four different times. How does the Spirit of God do this? Well, as the Word of God dwells in us richly, the Spirit of God is at work inside of us producing the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit does not grow in any old soil. 
The fruit of the Spirit grows in soil that has been richly fertilized in the truth of the Word of God. The more the fertilization, the more the cultivation of the Word in us, the more the fruit and the more the glory of God lived out in our lives. So to be filled with the Spirit is to be increasingly manifesting the fruit of the Spirit and it can only be produced by the Word of God in you. That's how important this is. And as the Spirit of God controls us, He's at work in us to help us obey the Word of God. Philippians 2. It is God who works in you both to will and to do of His own good pleasure. Thus work out your own salvation, right? Let your salvation work out of you because God is doing this. Our heart's desire and direction, the direction of our lives is toward obedience to the Word. This includes putting to death those deeds of the flesh. And it means by the Spirit of God living according to the revealed Word of God. So, when we use that terminology, filled with the Spirit, He's not influencing us to act weird. He's not influencing you to behave strangely. He's not encouraging you to fall on the ground and flop like a fish. He's not encouraging you to bark like a dog. He's not, not encouraging you to laugh like a hyena. Y'all remember back years ago that you had the Toronto laughing hysteria? People were drunk on the spirit and they were consistently laughing like hyenas. Like you actually took a sniff of laughing gas. The Spirit's control is governed and directed by the Word of God so that it's influencing you to obey the Lord. It's, it's encouraging you to obey Christ. So it's an error to say that someone is Spirit-filled because they've had some kind of ecstatic phenomenon and on the other hand, they don't have a life that is controlled by the Spirit and the Word and obedience to Christ. If you're filled with the Spirit, it's not an ecstatic phenomenon. It is being led by the revealed Word of God, by the Spirit of God, to obey the will of God. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit of God, you will be increasingly under submission and obedience to the Word and will of God. So this control of the Spirit overflows to the corporate. To this body of believers, it's building one another up. It's speaking the word of the Lord to each other. So the melodies in your heart, we speak back to our God, right? So to be filled with the Spirit is to have the word of God overflowing in your heart to those around you. And you're giving it back to God, and that's called worship. So what we're doing when we come in here Sunday after Sunday. Does the Spirit of God, in fact, however, come to us at special times for particular ministry acts? Well, that's, that's completely true. Why? Because it's in the book of Acts. The acts of the Holy Spirit of God, or might we say the acts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit of God. Do you remember in one particular occasion, they're praying to be filled with the Spirit, and what happens? Or they're praying, and they were filled with the Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. And how was that work accomplished? By the Spirit of God. Here's something else. To many of us who look like we have been sucking on sour lemons, the Spirit of God also increases our joy. Doesn't He? 
Joy is one of the distinguishing marks of the control of the Lord God over your life through his word. That you're not like Naomi whose name meant pleasant but then her name meant bitter and she comes back to Bethlehem dragging a full funeral procession behind her. Even in the midst of dark frowning providences we have a joy in us that is unspeakable and full of glory. We have the joy of Jesus in us. In Acts chapter 13 verse 52 the Bible says and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They come in tandem, right? To be controlled and influenced by the Holy Spirit of God means that you will tell your face that the Spirit of God lives in you. And there'll be some joy in your life that is independent of circumstances. So to be filled with the Spirit means to live under His control as He works through and with the Word of God in our lives. So I'm trying to tell you there's no way to be filled with the Spirit apart from the Word of God. You've got to be in the Word. You've got to have it in your mind, in your mouth, and in your manner. Right? Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do manner of life, all that is written therein. Does that make sense? That's what the Word must have in us. Dr. Andreas Kossenberger was my professor at Southeastern Seminary. He is a New Testament scholar, and he now teaches at Midwestern. He's the graduate dean over the Ph.D. program, and I was his grader in seminary, and I can tell you now the dude is smart, all right? And here's what he says about the Holy Spirit, or being filled with the Spirit. Paul's use of the expression, be filled with the Spirit, enjoins believers to exhibit a wise, maturing lifestyle, which is to be expressed through corporate praise and worship, as well as in proper Christian relationships. Bang, he hit the nail on the head. He tells us what this looks like, and he doesn't leave out the corporate. Anybody that explains the feeling of the Holy Spirit apart from the body of Christ, you've missed it. You can't explain it apart from the corporate body. So, if you know God in all his fullness, then it will reflect in how you worship Christ and how you relate to one another. Period. How you worship, how you relate to one another. Spirit-filled lives affects our mouths, our hearts, and our relationships. Are we perfect? No. But you will get back in line if you belong to Him. Whom the Father loves, He disciplines everyone and scourges everyone. We're not going to be perfect with our mouths, right? With our maturity and with our relationships. But we should strive to have spirit-filled lives that all... That Every part of us is affected by it. There are, these are the marks of the Spirit-filled life. Now, finally, in reference to our church and community life, here's my admonition to us as we conclude. Let's embody in every practical way the real Spirit-filled life that Jesus Christ has created in this community, this church. Shouldn't we embody this as a church? To let the Holy Spirit control, influence us in such a way that the results are addressing and singing, right? And making melody, worship. It is giving thanks 
Yes. It tells us what that is in all things. Correct? And then submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. We should embody those things. Instead of finding fault. And we're not a perfect church, right? As long as we have imperfect people, we'll never be a perfect church. And guess what? We're imperfect. Right? So instead of finding fault, we should marvel at the privilege of belonging to a church where Jesus is present. Amen? Cultivate the wonder that we get to be involved in the greatest reality on the face of the earth. We belong to Christ. That's the greatest reality on the face of the earth. The community where Jesus Christ himself lives. Now listen to me. You ready? I think when you walk in this church Sunday after Sunday, you need to come in with the awareness that this is where the Lord Jesus Christ exists and is present. And is present. And if you come in with that attitude, I think we can breathe life into everyone around us even when we don't sense a whole lot of life. Right? So to be filled with the Spirit, I don't know what your, your particular... When you read, pastor's going to be preaching on to be filled with the Spirit. I don't know if you thought it would be like this. But this is what it is. It's not some kind of ecstatic phenomenon. It is not some kind of experience that you seek. It is really what you are when you are saved. You are dark. You are light. And when the Holy Spirit lives in you, here's, here's the deal. How much are we submitting ourselves and yielding ourselves as instruments of righteousness and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us through the Word of God? Again, we've got to be saturated with the Word of God. And, and it's lived out in the corporate community. And it's the most incredible reality in the face of the earth that God has sought to dwell not only with individuals but corporately as a body. And he's designed it in such a way that you can't be an isolated Christian. You've got to be with the body of Christ in order to be filled with the Spirit. Father, help us. Lord, I know that there are people under the sound of my voice that feel they've been hurt by the church. I get it. I've been there. But Lord, that is no excuse for us living out what you've called us to live as your people. Lord, help us for the glory of Jesus, the expansion of your glory, not our glory. It's real easy in the church to think we get our feelings heard and we go AWOL. But Lord, in reality, there's something bigger than us. In reality, the church ultimately is about your glory. God, help us. Help us to have a others, a one another perspective in this church family. God, would you help us with a recommitment to what real church life is? Life together under the word. And as we've learned today, you gave it in the plural for a reason. It's to be filled with the spirit in the corporate body of believers. Help us, Lord. If there's someone here lost, Lord, you can't have a life in the Spirit if your Spirit left. And the only way someone can have your Spirit is the convicting power of the preached Word. Coupled with the work of the Holy Spirit of God where you breathe life into that which is dead. God, would you work in the hearts of people in such a way 
that you tender their hearts toward you. They see the beauty and glory of Jesus, whereas they did not see it before. And Lord God, help them, uh, Lord, to repent and believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so that they will be saved. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bid me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as remember being nine years of age like it was yesterday and we were singing this song God had me before I ever walked down the aisle I just had to give up I can tell you now from experience the scripture says let us seek to lay hold of him who has already taken hold of us folks I tell you it is the spirit alone that gives life Some of you may be in this room and you've not had life, but you know the Spirit of God is awakening you to life through the preaching of the Word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Give in and trust Christ. Think about that as we sing this song. I come boldly to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come part one more time. Just as I am. Just as I am, I would be lost, but mercy and grace, my freedom God, and now to glory in your cross, O Lamb of God. 
I was just singing away with my microphone on. Did y'all hear me? They turned me down. Well, I guess we were singing harmony, right? Or to, whatever. Um, thank you for being here today. Uh, we will have service tonight at 5.30. And Don Currents is bringing the message. Yeah, he is. Praise the Lord. All right, listen. Don is going to share kind of coupled. We've had lots of conversations in the last few weeks. And I hope you all know Don loves the Lord, right? He's a servant of the Most High God. I appreciate him so much. And uh, I tell you, my job is a lot easier around here because of that man, because of Don. But here, God's been working in his heart in studying Nehemiah. And his conviction is that we need a Nehemiah in our convention. That is so true. We need that kind of leader in our convention. So tonight, Don is going to share a little about the convention and what's going on. And he's going to give you a little bit of encouragement through Nehemiah. So, okay, uh, come and hear what Don has to say. My only regret is I wish I was here to hear it. But Natalie and I are going to go halfway back to take my daughter and those grandbabies. So y'all pray for us and travel. We'll be back tomorrow. But Don will be bringing the word tonight. Okay? All right, God bless each one of you. As we go, let's sing Trust and Obey. Trust and obey, for there's no Stop. 